All right. Well, once again, good morning. I'm super excited about our service this morning. Today, as we continue our series, What is Love? We look at loving our family in Christ. You know, in life, we really have two families. We have the one we're born into, right? And that one turns out however it turns out, and we do our best to love them and and and, and be with them and, and be a positive influence in their lives. And then we have the one uh, and that with you know, the blessing of God, we grow ourselves, right, as we kind of leave our family to create our own. That's kind of one whole big family. And then we have the family that God gives us through Christ. And so today we talk about how we love our family in Christ. Last week we talked about how we love our neighbor and we came up with the solution, right, the conclusion that everyone is our neighbor and we need to love everyone. Well, today uh, we talk about specifically our brothers and sisters in Christ. But Everything we're going to say today applies to all people as well. And so we'll start in John today. We're going to be in John chapter 13, 34, and 35. I'll give you some time to get there in your app. It will be on the screen. I do want to just quickly plug after service, Chase told you kind of the end, the last of the mini announcements. We're going to have a quick meeting. I I don't even like to call it a meeting because literally it's going to take us about five minutes. But I want to talk to you guys about a unique opportunity, I think, that we have to impact our church through prayer. It will not require you to be here any other time than when you would be here on Sunday mornings. It will require a tiny bit of sacrifice uh, from your time here in this service, but uh, I think that it could be really powerful, and I think that through that, you'll have an opportunity to not only participate in what God is doing and, and creating the kingdom, but to really influence that. And so if you'll give me just a few minutes Okay, if you'll give me just a few minutes at the end of service before you leave to talk to you about that opportunity and, and what that would look like, um, I, I look forward to having that conversation with you, okay? So that's my plug. Hopefully, I piqued your interest a little bit, uh, and if not, don't tell me. So John chapter 3, 34 through 35 says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another, Right? It goes on to say that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, this new command really isn't new at all. It's been an expectation since the dawn of creation. God expected Adam certainly to love Eve, and he expected Eve to love Adam. It's something that is, was built into us, the, the, something that, that we are expected to do, to, to love one another. You see, Christ's demand for us to love one another is, is born out of his character and, and who he is as the son of God. But if we're being frank, sin destroyed that expectation. At a time when we perfectly loved each other, we know Eve, we like to blame Eve. Eve partook of the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and, and, and she just kind of messed everything up and she introduced sin into the world and through their choices, this expectation to love one another as purely and as holy as God had intended it to be was destroyed. So last week, we looked at how we are to love our neighbors, how? As ourselves, right? The old treat people how you would like to be treated. Love our neighbor as ourselves. But we also discussed how that could be imperfect because if I treated other people the way that I often treated myself, I sometimes wouldn't be treating them very nicely. Because I have uh, a propensity, let's say, to be very hard on myself, to tear myself down, to look for all my flaws, to not give myself any grace. And so if I treated others in that way, that would not be exactly what God had in mind. 
So we look at this command, this command that Christ calls new, and I tell you that it's old, but it's also new in the fact that it is perfected here by the love of Christ. This time he instructs his disciples to love one another as I have loved you. Perfection. He repeats this command in chapter 15, verses 12, when he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. But then he kicks it up a notch in verse 13, where he goes on to say, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. Well, who do we know that's going to do that? Who do we know that's going to do that? See, Jesus is explaining to them that something that they haven't even experienced really yet that they are going to experience here very shortly is the epitome of what love could possibly be, to sacrifice oneself for another. You see, Christ's love begins at the cross. Christ's love begins at the cross. And in saying that, I'm not saying that Christ didn't love others before he went to the cross. I'm not saying that he didn't show or express love in other ways outside of the cross. But what I'm saying for some of you comic book nerds is that there was never a timeline that ever existed where Christ was not going to go to the cross. There was never a possibility that Christ wasn't going to die for you. Never a possibility that Christ wasn't going to die for me. It was his destiny. It's why he came to this earth, to die for us on a cross. He was born to die. And in that, we see part of the greatness of Christ. There's a lot of greatness to be had. There wasn't a moment where Jesus wasn't going to give absolutely everything. He paid it all. He paid it all. There's a really beautiful old hymn. I thought about singing it just for you, Eddie, but I'm not gonna, right? But it goes, maybe I will. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow, right? He paid it all. Yes, thank you. No, yeah. But he paid it all, all so that we might experience forgiveness, all that so that we might experience a grace that we have not had before Christ. And he did so by commanding us to love one another as he loved us sacrificially. See, in 1 John 3, 14, it says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who does not love remains in death. You see, our ability to love is a sign of our salvation. It is the measuring stick by where and the way in which we can say, am I saved? Are we able to love others as Christ has loved us? Are you able to love yourself as Christ has loved you? I go back to this because some of you right now are beating yourself up. I can see it on your faces. Some of you guys weren't necessarily smiling at me, but you were just kind of, hmm. And then the man I said, are you able to love others the way Christ loved people? And you were all like, hmm, right? Like, no, I can't do that, right? And so we feel automatically like there's no possible, how I can't love others like Christ. I'm not Christ. I'm not perfect. How can I possibly see myself as saved? Give yourself some grace. Are you striving to be like Christ? Are you striving to love others as Christ 
did. You see, love is the evidence. Our desire to love others, our ability to love others, our our wants to get better at loving others is evidence of the change that Christ has made in us. And when it comes down to it, when we love others as Christ commands, we receive the greatest benefit. It's amazing how God works that way, how he commands us to do things time and time again. And it always seems like it's for others, but in the end, Who receives the greatest benefit? We do. We do. He goes on to say in verses 14 through 17 in chapter 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. Okay, this is John 15, by the way. John 15, 14 through 17. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Love each other other. As he delivers these words to his disciples, he reminds them of some key important things. You see, at this point in their life, up to this point, he has been rabbi, he has been teacher, he has been master. These are relationships of servitude. But there is a change that is taking place when you love others as you love Christ. When you follow his commands and you listen and obey his teachings, you move from a position of servitude to a position of friendship. Something that you are included in. Something that has been made known to you. This is not one of those relationships like you have sometimes with your kids where it's do what I said because I said so, right? I swore that I would never tell my kids that. I use it 12 times a day. (laughs) I will always give my kid a reason. Why? Shut up, right? Like eventually that's what it gets to. I hulk out. I'm like, be quiet. I said so. And they're like, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, I don't care, right? But oftentimes, that's how people, I think, view our relationship with God and with Jesus. We're supposed to just do it because he said so. But Christ removed the veil. He taught everything to us that he had been taught by his Father. He gave us the reason why. He gave us the reason why. And in this instance, the reason why we love each other the way that he has loved us is because it takes us to a new realm from being his servant to being his friend. It takes us from being a, a, a forced worker, I'm a slave, right? A, a slave, a servant. It takes us from that position to somebody who's willingly doing the work of the kingdom alongside Jesus. And in being a brother of Christ, we are provided for by the Father. So looking back at how Christ loved others, says he laid his life down for us, but he did so not just in death, he did so in the way that he lived. We've talked about this very recently. Christ, the King of the kings, the Son of the Almighty God, left an exalted position in heaven to be just any common ordinary man 
And yet we know that he was so much more than that because he was able to live a life that we are incapable of living. And in the way that he lived his life, he revealed to us all the mystery that may have been in place between God and man. Why? Because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He has brought us truth. He has brought us revelation. The greatness of the love of Christ is that by him being elevated on a cross, he elevated us to heaven. Think about that. There is no equation that has ever existed in the world that makes less sense. I've been through Calc 3. There's some stuff that just like, it is because they say it is. It makes no sense. But this, this doesn't even compute. Christ loved us in a way loves people in a way that elevates them to his position so that when we are seen, we are seen as friends of Christ, as equals of Christ. And if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what else to tell you today to like just give you that moment of holy cow. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it. None of us have. And yet still it has been given to us. Christ confronted people with hard truths, with godly realities, and with supernatural love. And he did so in a way that at the end of every conversation, he pointed people forward towards God. In John 4, when the woman at the well thirsted for love and acceptance and was looking for it in any man that she could find, Christ quenched her thirst with a supernatural love that she didn't know she was worthy of experiencing. In her shame and in her guilt, Christ said, I'm worried about none of it. Your past shall be your past, but moving forward, you shall go to God. He pointed her to God. In John 11, when Mary and Martha wept at losing their brother Lazarus, Jesus wept too. Not because he didn't know that he was getting ready to pull Lazarus up out of the grave, but because his friends were hurting he was able to empathize with them in their time of need. In John 8, when the woman caught in adultery was brought before the crowd to be shamed and to be stoned, what did Jesus do? This hit me in a brand new way this week. I've preached from that passage 10 times. I've studied it more than I can tell you. But it hit me in a new way this week. Because when these religious people who were supposed to be representatives of God brought her before a crowd to shame her and stone her, what did Jesus do? He took the position of the stoned. He knelt down on the ground. He averted her, his eyes from their gaze. He made himself 
vulnerable. He took the position she would be in once they cast the first stone. And what did he say? You who is without sin, you who have no blame, go ahead and throw it. And one by one, those morons left. And Christ looks up and he asks her a very powerful and yet simple question. Did they condemn you? Did they condemn you? No, they didn't condemn me. What did he say? Well, I'm righteous. I'm perfect. I'm the son of God. Now I will condemn you. Is that what he said? If you haven't read it, you know what he says? Then neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Forget about what you've done. This is called grace. Guess what? You're not perfect. As you can see, no one is because no one threw anything at you. Now go to God. Now go to God. In John 3, when Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews, came to Christ in the middle of the night to, to be instructed by him, to learn from him, because he wouldn't dare be seen in, in, in broad daylight going to this radical. And he has this whole conversation with Nicodemus, and he explains to him how everyone who hopes to experience heaven must be born again. Nicodemus' question whether he was just completely like confused or if it was just one of those things where he was too proud to admit that he knew what Christ was saying, says, how can I possibly be born again? Am I supposed to re-enter my mother's womb? Christ explains that you were already born of the flesh, but you must be born of the Spirit. You must allow yourself to be transformed and to be changed by the love of God, the same love that he is calling us to reflect and to show to others. It's in this same conversation that we get John 3.16. Again, something I, for whatever reason, hadn't really put together in my life. They've always been two separate things. There's been John 3.16, which we put up on a pedestal, and I understand why. For God so loved the world, right, that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's the gospel wrapped up in one voice. But I never put it together. For whatever reason, call me dumb, maybe that's the reason, right? It's in this conversation he has with Nicodemus about his need to be reborn again. It is the gospel, you are sinful. You were naturally this way. You have done wrong. You must be born of the Spirit and shed yourself of your old self and know that God has provided the way for you through His Son who has come to die for you on the cross so that you wouldn't experience what it is that you deserve. He fed 5,000. He rewarded faith time and time again with healing and with renewal. Christ 
lived a life that was not his own so that we might reap what we could not sow, the righteousness of God. See, we're told in Scripture that a man reaps what he sows. And if you plant bad seeds, you get bad things. And if you plant good seeds, good things come, right? But Christ, Christ came and loved us in a way and did what he did to provide something for us that we could not sow no matter how hard we tried. And so therefore, there was never an opportunity for us to reap it. That is the righteousness of God. And it came to us by loving each other as Christ loved us by him going to the cross and sacrificing himself and being broken and being bloodied and being destroyed. He didn't deserve it. We deserved it. And yet he ensured that we would never have to receive what it is that we deserved. And that is how we love others. People are hurting People are broken. People are desperate. They are in despair. Love them like Jesus. Love them like Jesus. Be truth. Be truth. Be sacrifice. Be available. Don't seek to give them what they deserve. Rather, love them as Christ has loved you. Point them to the cross and Jesus will do the rest. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now this morning and Lord, I for what your word says. I, I am thankful for the message that has been delivered to all of us this morning. God, you loved us in a way that we can't comprehend, but it was perfect. It was perfect and it was, it was wrapped up and had its foundation in sacrifice. We are to sacrifice for one another. Our time, our efforts, our own desires, we are to sacrifice in order to love one another the way that you loved us. A love that ended on the cross. A love that paved a way for a brand new experience, God, that we could never have achieved on our own. Help us to let go of our pride. God, take it away from us. Help us to get over the mindset that says anyone deserves what they deserve. It's difficult. We're sinful. We want retribution. We want to be justified. We want others to experience the pain that they have inflicted on the world. God, you're here to offer forgiveness. You're here to change people from the inside out.
May we seek to deliver hard truths. May we seek to love people supernaturally in a way that is not our own, in a way that is not natural, in a way that, that is, that is n- not humanly possible without a divine act of God. And use us to point others to the cross. Use us to point others to you so that they might experience the grace that we have experienced. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. This is a time for you to stand and reflect on where you are right now in your journey. To reflect on the things that you need to change in order to be more like Christ, in order to love others more like Christ. This is a time for prayer. This is a time for thanksgiving and for worship. I will be here to pray with you this morning. James is standing over there. I know he's praying right now, but I guarantee if you go up to him, he would love to pray for you this morning. Joy, I'm going to ask you to go stand straight in the back. Joy will be back there to pray with you this morning. I'll be up here to pray with you this morning. The stage is an altar. You don't have to pray with any of us. The greatness, one of the greatnesses of our God is that you can go directly to him. So if you need to pray, come pray. Come pray. If you don't have a relationship with Christ, but you need a relationship with Christ and you want to talk about what that looks like, come talk to me today. We've got another baptismal service planned for April. Amen. Amen. We can baptize you. We can baptize you right alongside the others that are getting baptized. But if you need Jesus, don't go another step today without just surrendering to him. It's easy. It requires nothing but you admitting, believing, and confessing, and we'll explain all those things. You don't have to get your ducks lined up in a row. You don't have to perfect yourself. Christ died for you the way that you are right now in this moment. Stand, worship, pray, give yourself to God. Whatever it is that he is calling you to do today, be bold enough, be brave enough, go in faith. Stand with me now and let's worship.